Well, praise the Lord. I'm glad that you're here today as uh, we're going to continue this sermon series entitled The Beginning and the End. And from the outset, I had planned to spend a little bit more time in Revelation at the end of each sermon. Uh, I should have known better. Uh, I haven't been able to quite spend as quite as much time in, in the book of Revelation at the end of each sermon as I intended. But let not your hearts be troubled because tonight at 5 o'clock, Pastor Rick is going to start preaching through the book of Revelation. And somehow, by a work of a miracle, he's going to be able to do it in five weeks. Uh, if he can do that, um, that'll be great. So uh, today, I want to talk about marriage. In previous weeks, uh, we've looked at the creation of the world. We've looked at uh, man being created in the image of God. Last week, I kind of got ahead of myself a little bit, but uh, we looked at the fall of man. Today, we're going to talk about marriage. Today, in Genesis 2, we're going to see the very first marriage, uh, both Adam and Eve. And uh, we're going to find, when we, look at, when, we, when we look at what we're going to see today, we're going to see a design for marriage. A design for marriage. And what I mean by that is not that Adam and Eve had the perfect marriage and you need to study the marriage of Adam and Eve and, uh, and, and, and copy what they did their whole life. Not, not what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the basic design of how God uh, created marriage and that's going to give us a template, uh, really a basic template for how we're supposed to do marriage as Christians. And so we're just, we're going to call this Christian marriage. A Christian marriage, uh, stated simply, is when marriage functions in a way that is consistent with God's Word and is consistent with God's will. The Bible tells you how to do marriage as a Christian. The Bible doesn't necessarily tell you uh, what job you should work. The Bible doesn't necessarily tell you how you should do a lot of different things in life. But the Bible specifically gives us instructions as to how we should do marriage in a basic sense. And especially from a design sense. And we're going to look at that today. And it's going to, I think it's going to be very simple. Um, however, we're going to see it's a pretty high, it's a pretty high calling. Even understanding and doing and following the basics of what God has told us to do in marriage is going to prove to be very difficult. It's, it really requires a lot of faith. In fact, even whenever you're married to the perfect person, marriage is difficult. If you don't believe me, just ask my wife. And so, um, I'll, first off, I want to point out some things that are uh, uh, some things that are damaging, that are extremely damaging to Christian marriages. And some of these will, some of these will be uh, be pretty basic knowledge to a lot of you. Uh, the first thing that we see that are destroying Christian marriages is a redefinition of marriage by the culture. Believe it or not, there are whole denominations that are redefining traditional marriage between a man and a woman, um, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Uh, number two, we see a refusal, a refusal to accept biblical gender roles in marriage, as described in Ephesians chapter 5. This is destroying Christian marriages, and we see a lot of Christians uh, that, are, that are not really wanting to hear that type of information. Uh, husbands not spiritually leading the family is one of the things that is destroying Christian marriages. Christians marrying non-Christians is something that is destroying Christian marriages. 
having sex before marriage and little to no sex in marriage is destroying Christian. Because, you know, that's, that, that's backwards, y'all. I mean, our, our, our culture has gotten this wrong. Uh, pornography is destroying Christian marriages. You would be shocked to know the number of marriages that are being affected by this. The acceptability of divorce among Christians is destroying God's design for Christian marriage. Uh, cohabitation prior to marriage is destroying Christian marriages. I call this the Amazon Prime version of marriages. I love Amazon Prime. You know, you order it and they ship it to you for free. And then if you don't like it, you know, you try it before you, and then if you don't like it, uh, you just, you know, just take it back over here to Kohl's. You don't even have to box it up and you just return it for free. Uh, that's like cohabitation prior to marriage. You know, just try it before you buy it. If you don't like it, uh, return it. Um, busy lifestyles where something is made more of a priority, children being made more of a priority over a spouse, for example. These are some things that are, that are destroying and are hurting Christian marriage. And each and every one of these, I, I, I could preach in a, a 10 or 11 week series and have each and every one of these its own separate, uh, its own separate sermon. And some of you look at some of these and you think, man, I wish you'd talk about this busy lifestyle. Or, oh no, man, this porn pornography thing. Um, I've been there, done that. It's hurting us. Or, you know, I, I'm married to an unbeliever. I wish you'd really talk about that. And the, and, and the truth is, all of these things are worth talking about. And having a whole sermon series that addresses all of these is, would really be helpful and beneficial. But what I want to show you today, I want us to read the basic scripture that undergirds all of these. When we look in the New Testament at what Jesus says about marriage, what the Apostle Paul says about marriage, when we look at the ideals and the details about marriage described in the New Testament, the New Testament authors use this scripture that we're about to read today as the underpinnings, the basis, the foundational design of everything. And, if, and what I'm going to share with you today, if we, if we can get this right, what I'm going to share with you today, if we can get this right, then all, all of these are going to be a natural outflow. They're, they're going to, they're, we're going to begin to get these, those others right as well. Let's look at this in Genesis chapter 2. Stand with me if you don't mind. Genesis chapter 2, let's start reading in verse 15. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. Verse 18. The Lord God said, Man, this homeboy being by himself is not a good thing. He said, it is not good that the man should be alone. So God came up with a great idea, man, an awesome idea. He said, I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, birds of the heavens brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature was, was its name. God gave, uh, the man gave names to all livestock, birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper 
fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up its place with, with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, and circle that word made in Scripture, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, Yes. This, that's in the Hebrew, I'll get to that later. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, application for all of us, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Father, today I pray that you would help us as we learn about this critical relationship that most all of us at some point in our life will have, this marriage relationship. Lord, speak to your people. Speak to them through your word. May your Holy Spirit be present. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, I remember years ago when I had my own bachelor pad. For those of you young folks around here, I don't know if y'all call them bachelor pads anymore. You call them cribs. I don't know what the, what, the, what, the, what the name is now. But I lived as an adult for nine years unmarried. Nine years I lived as an unmarried adult and had my own place. At first, it was just a 500-square-foot apartment, and I loved it. And I eventually got a bigger apartment, but one day it occurred to me, why do I want to keep throwing my money away on rent? And so I decided to buy a house. It wasn't an expensive house or anything like that, but it had 1,800 square feet just for me. An 1,800-square-foot bachelor pad. Uh, me and another friend of mine used to always say, we're going to be bachelors until the rapture. And then Kelly came along, and of course it was bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh type of commitment, and she took over the bachelor pad, and now, I, I mean, I got a doghouse that she sends me to, um, but uh, don't really even, I, I guess I got kind of a man cave, maybe the garage, whatever, uh, but this is kind of the position that we find our first man in. Adam had a killer bachelor pad. I mean, he had the Garden of Eden. He had it all to himself. This was a world without Eve. This Garden of Eden was exquisitely beautiful, a picture of life and comfort and beauty and riches and perfection and provision, uh, a great habitat with a beautiful landscapes, a cache of precious stones, plenty to eat, uh, rivers of abundance, uh, man in paradise is basically what we see. He was given a good job by God. He managed everything that the Lord had created to him. The Bible says God put man in the garden to work it and keep it. I mean, this is really a picture of safety and security and perfection and fellowship with God. A perfect world for our bachelor man, but there was something that was missing. There was something that was not good 
in Adam's perfect world. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, the scripture says God did something, it was good. God did something else, it was good. God made light, it was good. God made the vegetation, it was good. I mean, Genesis chapter 1 talks all about all the goodness that God had done over and over. God would do something. He said it was good. It was very good. And for the first time ever in scripture, through divine declaration... God looks at bachelor man in this perfect world and he says it is not good for him to be by himself without a partner, without a helpmate. I think we can all agree that it's not good to be alone. It's not good to be by yourself. It's not good to be lonely. It's not, it's not, it's, it's just, it's just not good. Now, let me take a quick, I gotta, I gotta make a quick comment. Um, there is a theology of singleness that we see in the New Testament for missional reasons and for kingdom purposes. That's a different sermon for a different day. Uh, Today is about marriage. And so what God does is God makes a helper for Adam. We see two times in the scripture, God talking about Eve, who he created, he talked about this helper. He said, I've got to make a helper fit for this boy. I mean, he's just, he's just not going to make it. Uh, he, needs, he needs a partner. He needs somebody that's going to that's come alongside him. And look, I don't know about you, but God, I think God has some great ideas. God came up with the idea that he was going to make a woman... He was going to give her to the man, and the man was going to get to marry her. Amen, fellas? I mean, praise the Lord. God came up with a wonderful, wonderful idea, and it was his idea. God invented marriage. Nobody came up with it. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't have some dude walking around one day, and he looked over and said, Hey, you know what, boys? I think it'd be a good idea if we married with them. No. God came up with this. God had, had his, his own design. And by the way, this word made in Scripture says he made into a woman. This is a different word that is used than in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, made, created, all these words are used. Eve would be a special creation of God. For the very first time in the Genesis narrative, we have specific information about how God made something, about how God created something. And it is a, 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 a pretty cool story when you think about how God put, God had, you know, some kind of divine procedure, some kind of divine anesthesia that he puts Adam under and he takes one of his ribs. And we see the creation of Eve like this, this crown of creation, like almost as if it's God's final astonishing work that he makes Eve, as if she is like this, this crescendo of everything that God had made. I mean, the very essence of saving the best for last. That's the picture that we get of this creation of Eve. And God takes this wonderful, exquisite, beautiful creature that he had made, his crowning work, and like a father walking his daughter down the aisle, he brings her and presents her to the man. 
But there is a purpose behind what she has created. There's, there's, a, there's a design in here that we have to understand, and it, it's centered around the word helper. Helper. We see it twice in this passage. The word helper, the Hebrew word, is ezer konegdo. How about that for a Hebrew lesson for you? Ezer Konegdo. Okay, ladies, I want you to say this with me. Say Ezer Konegdo. All right, try it again. Ezer Konegdo. All right, so, uh, you know, some of, my, so, some of you out here, you know, uh, going to seminary or in seminary, been to seminary, you know more Hebrew than I do. But for most of us, this might be the extent of our Hebrew proficiency right here. Ezer Konegdo. What this means is not just any kind of helper, but a suitable helper. Not, not, just a, not just an okay helper, but a helper that is, that is, that is fit for him. And so uh, the King James Version calls it a help meet. Some of your translations might, call, might use the word help mate. Now this is important because Eve, in her relationship with Adam, she was designed to be this for him. And, and this is a basic principle of what we see about marriage. It begins here, it, it's expanded on in other parts of the Bible, especially the New Testament, that the wife is to be a helpmate to her husband. This is not a subservient role. We, we don't see that anywhere in the Scripture, that she is somehow less than um, uh, Adam, or she is somehow made in a subservient role. This is a relational role that she has with him and him only. And this is not so much about traditional homemaking as it is about a God-designed help mating that she has. She was designed to do this. This is a complementarian type of relationship. I use that word I use that word very specifically and very carefully because complementarianism to describe our view of marriage as we comprehensively look at all of the Bible complementarianism is is what we believe you can look that up and study that sometimes later ladies for now this is to be your heart attitude towards your husband this is how God designed you as a Christian wife in Christian marriage. This, this, is, this is what God expects. This is what He is looking for from you spiritually in your marriage in how you relate to and feel about and have a heart attitude towards your husband. Now hear me clearly, ladies. This is not something that you do with every man. You do this with one man, and you get to pick him out. And my suggestion, ladies, let me talk to this section right here. Let me talk to all the single ladies right here, all right? My suggestion is that you choose very, very carefully. Choose very carefully. Because whatever direction he's going in, don't count on that you're going to somehow, don't missionary date, don't count on that somehow you're going to change him. You, you choose someone, you ask the Lord, God, who, who is it is that you want me to assume this responsibility with? Pray and ask the Lord and choose wisely. 
Now listen, th this view, let me just go ahead and say this, this view that I'm giving to you today, and the complementarian view in particular, um, is seen as very misogynistic and, and chauvinistic and patriarchal. But when I read Genesis chapter 2, and I read how God designed Eve, to me, what we see in the Genesis narrative is the most exalted view of womanhood the world has ever received. And only God could make it this beautiful. All right, now what about Adam? What, what, what is his reaction? What is his role? What is his, what is his responsibility? Adam expresses, there's an expression that comes out of Adam's mouth. It emanates from Adam's heart whenever, whenever, he, whenever he saw Eve. All right, and I told you I was going to help you with the Hebrew expression of this. He said, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, okay? Now, let's, let's learn a little more Hebrew. All right, Adam, what came out of his mouth and what came out of his heart if we look at the original Hebrew, what he says is he says, Woo! Or, like I said before, just simply, yes. He said, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This is how he views her, how he sees her, and says everything. Listen, fellas says everything about how he is going to treat her and how he is going to relate to her and how it is going to be a loving, cherishing, nurturing relationship that he will never, never, ever break. And then when we look at this, we see what Adam says, this love and this commitment. We see that, that, that our role in how we relate to our wife should be one of love and commitment and passion and relational connection, attachment, and the value of the wife that, the God, that God has given to her, that we are to cherish her and nurture her and prioritize her and prize her above everything else in life. Men, listen, this is to be your heart attitude towards your wife. This is the heart attitude of a Christian husband in a Christian marriage. It is what God expects of you. And only one woman is supposed to get this level of love and commitment and affection and, and, and prioritization from you. Only one woman, and you marry her, and this is supposed to be what's come out of your heart. And listen, guys, this is scary. In the New Testament, the Bible says that God will not hear your prayers if you get this wrong. That if, if you're harsh with you, your wife, if you don't cherish her, nurture her, if you don't love her like Christ loves the church, if you get this wrong, God will not even hear you whenever you pray. I'd, I'd say, that's, I'd say that's, pretty, that's pretty serious. And when we look at, when we look at this, the, these two building blocks of design, how, how, how the wife is supposed to have a heart attitude and relating to her husband in a certain way, 
and how the husband is supposed to have a heart attitude and relating to his wife in a certain way. What we're left with is we're, we're left with a marriage commitment that I, I just call indissoluble. That it can't, it, it, it should not be dissolved. And th- this is this is kind of the third building block that we see. We see, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast or shall cleave to his wife. Leave and cleave is what we is, is, is the way we typically describe that. Leave and cleave. That there is a relational heart attack attachment that you have to your family of origin that eventually you detach from that and now your full attachment goes towards your wife. Now listen, moms, dads, I'm not saying that your adult children should never call you anymore. I'm not saying that when they have grandkids, they ought to call every day and bring the grandkids, right? Um, but this, is, this means that there's a priority of the relationship from both spouses that supersedes every other relationship in life. Listen. This verse right here, when Jesus gave his definition of marriage, a man and a woman, he used this verse. When Jesus talked about not divorcing, when Jesus talked about not lusting, he used this verse. When the Apostle Paul uh, gives his view of sexuality and his sexual ethic, the New Testament writers and Jesus being central among them uses this verse as his basis text, where he gets the basis ideas about marriage. Marriage is an unbreakable union where there is physical oneness. You see, when God, when God brought Eve to Adam, he didn't, he didn't, it wasn't the Amazon Prime version. He didn't say, hey, you, you know, Adam, I, I, I got this. What, what, I mean, I, I can always make another. If you don't like her, I can always make, you got plenty of ribs. No, this, this was an unbreakable commitment. And Adam and Eve had all sorts of problems. I mean, they had all sorts of problems in their marriage. Think about it. Um, one of their kids murdered one of their other kids. I'd call that a bad day in a family, and certainly a bad day in a marriage. Uh, they, they, had some, they had some work issues. All right, Adam had this great job, no thorns and thistles, but then they sinned, and now... God said, it's, the work's going to be harder. You're gonna, also, you're going to have pain in childbirth. By the way, parents, you don't just have pain in childbirth. You have pains when they turn teenagers, too, just so you know. They had some situational... I'm just picking on the teenagers. I love y'all. Um, they had some major situational issues. They had to relocate. Remember they, remember they were kicked out of the garden? They had all kinds, they had all kinds of problems. They stayed married for 930 years. There's no way Kelly Parkinson would put up with Scott Parkinson for 930 years. But somehow Eve was able to pull it off with Adam. Now, you're like, now what? That, what? Yeah, that's a different sermon for a different day. Why people lived for a long time. So these three things, this, these are so basic. Three basic building blocks of God's design for marriage. Here they are. Three basic building blocks. The Christian wife relates in a Christian manner towards her Christian husband. Which means that she sees herself and views herself as a helpmate to that man. Just him. And then the Christian husband loves 
and cherishes and nurtures his wife on a level that supersedes everyone else and everything else in his life. And then together, they are faithful, physically faithful, and committed to stay in the marriage for life. Now those of you who have been married for any length of time, know that this is extremely difficult. Just this basic design, just, just look at how, and, and let, me, let me just tell you this, there's a lot of you who don't agree with me. There's a lot of you who do not agree with me about the role of man and the role of woman in marriage. There's, there's a lot of, there's a, I guarantee you, I, I'll, I'll probably get some emails. Well, pastor, what about this? And, you know, pastor, what about that? It is my experience that conservative, Bible-believing Christians don't want to embrace Christian marriage. Listen, parents, teach this to your little girls. Teach this to your little boys. Do what you can to model it. Sunday school teachers, teach this, teach this to our children in our kids' ministry. Start them in preschool. Teach this to Christian kids. We need to embrace Christian marriage. I guarantee you, if you look at the majority of problems that we have in marriage, many of which I, I stated at the beginning of this sermon, you think about your own marriages and the, own, your, the problems that you have. I guarantee you that the vast majority of them, they flow back to some, in some kind of way in your marriage or you as an individual, as a wife or as a husband, have not embraced just the basic design of how God made marriage. Most all of it can be traced back to that in, 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 in some type of way. Seems basic, but it's really hard, really difficult. And if you want to have a Christ-centered marriage, the most critical thing is not your relationship with each other. The most critical thing is your relationship with Jesus. You see, Christian marriage requires Christ. Christian marriage requires discipleship. Christian marriage requires discipleship. There's, it amazes me how people think that marriage is all about relationships. And to a certain extent it is. But Christian marriage is about discipleship. Christian marriage is about saying, God has expectations of me. I am a disciple of Jesus. And that discipleship plays out in how I relate to my wife. And the wife says, I am a Christian woman first. And I'm a disciple follower of Jesus. And that discipleship plays out first and foremost in how I relate to my husband. Christian marriage isn't about human relationships. It is about your divine relationship with Jesus. You focus on that, and then you can focus on these basic design building blocks, and the rest you can work on, and the rest you can work out. You're still going to be sinful. You're still going to be flawed. You're still going to make mistakes. All of us have. I guarantee you, every Christian husband right now is being like, oh, man, I have not lived up to my part here lately. And all you Christian ladies are like, maybe I hadn't been doing as good of a job with, with, with that either. 
Listen, we're all flawed. We all fail. The point is, is to embrace God's design and say, Lord, this is who you created me to be. This is who you created me to be in marriage. And I will follow you and obey your commands in my marriage. So, what about in heaven? I mean, what, could, what verse of Scripture could I possibly go to in Revelation to talk about marriage? Because I've been trying to do that. I've been trying to compare the opening verses of Genesis with the closing verses of Revelation. Wow, this brings up all kinds of questions, doesn't it? Will I be married in heaven? Jesus said it's going to be different. Je- Jesus said you're not going to marry or be given in marriage uh, in heaven. And he made a curious statement. said something like, we'll be like, we'll be like the angels. That's I got a lot of questions about that. And, I, you know, it's funny, Kelly and I have talked about that before. Like, are we not going to be husband and wife in heaven? I mean, you know, it, it, brings, up, it brings up a lot of questions. But there's not going to be marriage in heaven. Like, you and I have marriage here on, on earth. It's, it's, it's going to be different. But there will be a marriage ceremony in heaven. There will be one marriage ceremony in heaven. And we read about it in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 through verse 9. And it talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, heaven is all about our relationship to God. We want to focus so much on our human relationships. Oh, I can't wait to see Uncle Jim when I get to heaven. I can't wait to see my granddaddy whenever I get there. I can't wait to, you know, be in heaven with my family and my my kids and my wife and my my spouses. You know, the picture that we see in heaven is, is that it's all about our relationship with Jesus. It's all about us as the bride of Christ joining in union with Jesus. And you say, well... I still don't understand about other people. Listen, the best, thing, the best thing that I can tell you in my imagination is that all of our relationships, not just with our spouses, uh, not just with the people that we were married to and the kids that we had on earth, but all of our relationships in heaven are going to be perfect and, and, and unimaginable. That we're going to have such a connection with each other, with, with everybody, that it is going to be so wonderful, it is going to be complete bliss, and it, it is even going to supersede even the best of relationships that we could possibly imagine here on earth. That's the best answer that I can give you. But I know that this is a marriage supper that I want to be at. I know that this is, this is a place where I want to be in eternity. And I don't know, uh, I, I don't know what might be on your heart today, um, but I think we need to offer prayer to God. If you are a single person here today, and, and I know, I, listen, I know that, I know that I'm, I feel this way every time I talk about marriage. I know that any time I preach on marriage or talk about marriage, I know it lands hard. It lands hard on maybe those of you who have experienced divorce. It lands hard on, on those of you who are single and not married, but m- maybe you want to be. It lands hard on you even if, even if you've been, been recently dating and you've entered a relationship or uh, maybe you're married to a non-believer or maybe your husband's look at por- looking at pornography. Uh, maybe your, your physical relationship is just not 
like it was. You just don't have the spark as whenever you first got married. There's all types of reasons. Anytime we talk about marriage, all types of reasons why it just, it, 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 it kind of lands hard on us. Man, we need to hear it. We need to see God's ideal. And this is what we need to pray for. We need to pray for grace. We need to pray for grace and say, Lord, help me. We need to say, God, help me to be the husband I need to be. God, help me to be the wife that I need to be. Lord, give me grace. Give our relationship with each other grace so that we can be everything that you want us to be. And, I mean, this is... This is not a message to those of you who are single or to those of you who are, are, are single again. But let me tell you something. There, there's hope for you. God loves you. God loves you. And, uh, and, and, and I believe that there's hope and restoration for you. But let's, 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 uh, let's just offer prayer to God at this time. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes.